It's a joy, it's a delight to gather together around the Word of God in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The days may be tumultuous, but God is in control. He is not worried. He is not insecure. He is not confused. He is not weary and tired. He is God. And we have the joy of just getting into His Word tonight, getting the heart and mind of God, and hopefully digesting it into our own hearts and minds and becoming like our Lord Jesus Christ, both in life and ministry. Hope that you're doing well. The goodness of God prevails over all of His creation, and especially in the lives of those who are trusting Him and looking to Him. Now, I think you have a text that relates directly to the Bible study tonight, and it's about a woman. Yes, sir. About an unusual woman who met an unusual person. Kind of the opposite of last week. (laughs) Yes, in a lot of ways. Oh, my. So, let's read about that woman out of John's Gospel, chapter 4, and we'll begin reading with verse number 7. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink, since I'm a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. She said to him, Sir... You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water, so that I will not be thirsty nor come all the way down here to draw. He said to her, Go, call your husband and and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have correctly said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. Jesus said to her, I 
who speak to you am he. Mm. At this point his disciples came and they were amazed that he, that he had been speaking with a woman, yet no one said, what do you seek or why do you speak with her? So the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to the men, come, see a man who told me all things that I've done. This is not the Christ, is it? They went out of the city and were coming to him. Well, that's an interesting passage of Scripture, and uh, we'll get to that in just a minute. So now we're going to go back into our study of the Thriving Church. We've been in here for quite a while. This is a book written by my friend Dean Taylor, who teaches up at Faith Baptist Bible College in Ankeny, Iowa. And it's been a blessing to me. I hope it's been a blessing to you. We want to be a thriving church. Are you growing? Are you thriving as a Christian? Even during these times of uh, separation that we're going through, this time of COVID, uh, you can be growing if you are in God's Word. But now we're going to go back to this uh, idea of studying the pattern of grace and truth. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. This is from Lessons 9 and 10. There's just a lot of stuff, and we're, we're kind of spreading it out a little bit so that we can take the time to cover it as it should be. So um, we're trying to give, us a, give examples of how Jesus Christ himself witnessed to people in different places and in different times and who had unique personalities, unique needs, and backgrounds. And uh, it's really quite helpful to us, I think, because... We are going to see that a lot of these people, these types of people, are in our own community, that some of them are in our own church, and it's important to know how to talk to these people uh, at the different places they are in life. And now, well, as we witness, we want to remember, we want to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. And the text that we've used often for the last couple of lessons comes from Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 13, where it talks about Jesus being full of uh, the fullness of Christ, and then John chapter 1 and verse 14 talks about Jesus being full of grace and truth. And that is the way we need to approach people when we try to witness to them. Last week we started looking at the nine people that we'll be looking at, the nine groups of people at least, that we'll be studying as we go through these two chapters. The religious and moral man, Nicodemus, that we talked about last week from John chapter 3. Tonight we're looking at the religious and immoral woman from John chapter 4 that Pastor just read about. In the future we'll look at the crowd of hungry followers from John chapter 6. Another woman who was caught in sin in John chapter 8. A grieving family in John chapter 11. A, self, a group of self-centered disciples in John chapter 13. A skeptical observer, his name was Thomas, you've heard about him, Doubting Thomas we call him, in John chapter 20 and how Jesus dealt with him. And a failing follower, follower named Peter that you know in John chapter 21. And finally, a looking at a dying sinner. Now, we may be able to get through a few more of those next week than what we, do, what we did last week. And tonight, we're looking at basically a review of the first one and looking at the second one. But each one of these kinds of people represents people that you and I come in contact with. We rub shoulders with them at the grocery store. We, we see them in our church. We see them in our neighborhoods. We see them at work. Uh, we see them in different places, and we need to know how to help them, and how to help them to know about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, it's real easy right now in this time to just kind of uh, hole up and to to go into ourselves and, and be concerned about us, us, us all the time, and forget that there's a lost world around us that is dying and on its way to hell. It's very important that we keep an evangelistic focus even in the middle of this difficult time. 
Find ways to be creative. Find ways to uh, communicate the truth of the gospel with others. We want to be like the Lord Jesus Christ, who in John chapter 1 and verse 14 was full of grace and truth. He came to dwell among us so that he could offer us opportunities for salvation and to show us how we should live. Now, Jesus Christ was gracious to everyone, and uh, he was willing to die for the sins of the whole world. He didn't want anyone to perish, and so he did whatever he could to make sure that they knew how uh, they could be saved. He loved us all, even when we were hell-bent sinners. He, he died for us while we were yet sinners. Now, if we want to be like him, we're going to have that same attitude towards the people that we come in contact with, whether it be medical workers who come into your home, pizza deliverers, whoever it is that you are coming in contact with from day to day and uh, throughout your, your week. Now, last week we looked at the respected leader, a religious man named Nicodemus, somebody that they called the teacher of Israel. So he was really well versed in the scriptures. And yet he was missing out. He had not uh, accepted the Lord Jesus as his Savior, and he was not sure about some things. Uh, he was a religious and a moral man, and yet he knew, like the rich young ruler, that something was missing in his life. He tried to keep all the laws, he tried to keep all the rules, he tried to do all the right things, and yet he knew he was falling short. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And Nicodemus hadn't heard that verse, but he knew it was true about his own life. But Jesus met with this man who initiated the meeting with Jesus. This is an unusual thing, an unsaved person coming to Jesus, asking about these things. Usually we have to go to them and start the conversation, which is what we'll do with the, when we talk about the, 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 the woman at the well in Samaria. But here, this, uh, this man came to Jesus, and though he was educated in the scriptures, and though he was a religious leader, though he was respected, he did not understand what Jesus was talking about when Jesus said he had to be born again. And yet Jesus was careful, and he was, he was caring, and he was gracious and kind as he took Nicodemus through to understand that he needed to be born again. He illustrated it by going to a story that Nicodemus knew very well, that of the brazen serpent that Moses raised up when the people of Israel were being attacked by serpents. And uh, Moses told the children of Israel, because God told him to say it, look at the serpent and you will be healed. And those that looked at the serpent were healed, and those who didn't died from their bites and the, the poison from the snakes. And Jesus said, that's the same way. Jesus Christ is going to be lifted up, and you need to look to him in faith. And if you look to him in faith, you can be saved from your sins. John chapter 3, verse 16, verse 17, those are two verses that Jesus used with Nicodemus. They're famous verses that you and I need to know, but let's review them again. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Now it's highly likely that after that meeting, Jesus uh, Nicodemus went one way and Jesus stayed where he was and Nicodemus went off still questioning these things and trying to understand these things. And for a period of time, I'm sure he wrestled with these things because he knew he was going to have to kind of abandon all of his religious pomp and circumstance and come to this place of humble faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. But I believe that after a time he did because we know at one point uh, he defended Jesus before his 
fellow Pharisees, and then later on he joined Arimathea, uh, Joseph of Arimathea to come and claim the body of the Lord Jesus Christ for burial. So we know that he fell in love with the Lord, and he accepted the Lord, and we believe that he followed the Lord with his life. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 tells us, Consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise men according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame things which are strong, and the base things of the world, and the despised God has chosen, the things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before God. The scripture says very clearly, not many noble will come to the Lord. But thank the Lord, some do, and I believe Nicodemus was among them. And I hope that the Lord used Nicodemus in the lives of other people, though we don't hear much about it. Now we are going to turn the page and go into the next chapter, in John chapter 4. And pastors already read much of the chapter for you. There's actually 42 verses that deal with this. Well, that's a long passage of scripture. But... Uh, we, we will look at this woman, she was not, Nicodemus was a religious and moral man, and now we're looking at a religious and immoral woman. Quite a contrast. I like what John MacArthur said in his commentary about this. He said the contrast between the Samaritan woman and Nicodemus was striking. He was a devoutly religious Jew. She was an immoral Samaritan. He was a learned theologian. She was an uneducated peasant woman. He recognized Jesus as a teacher sent by God. She had no clue who he was. He was wealthy. She was poor. He was a member of the social elite of Israel. She was of the dregs of the Samaritan society. She was an outcast among outcasts, since the Jews regarded all Samaritans as unclean pariahs. And this is the woman now that Jesus purposely goes to to reach her with the gospel. Remember, Nicodemus came to Jesus. Now Jesus is going to her very purposely. How did Jesus show grace to this woman? We say Jesus is full of grace and truth. Let's focus on the grace side of things for just a while. Jesus stepped away first from the, the busyness of his ministry schedule and activities to reach out to her specifically. It says in John chapter 4, verse 1 through 4, that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were. And he left Judea and went away uh, again unto Galilee. He left the south of the, the nation of Israel and went towards the north. And in the middle was this area called Samaria. And it said he had to pass through Samaria. Now most Jewish people did not go through Samaria. Especially right there in the center where Sychar was. Where this woman was. They found a way around. They went up the Jordan River. They kind of bypassed it. Kind of like you might bypass a bad part of the city that you don't want to go through. Uh, a neighborhood that you say, I don't want to be in there. Especially after dark. But this is kind of the way they, have treat, they treated the Samaritans. The Jewish people did not like them. They didn't want to have anything to do with them. And, uh, and, but yet Jesus made it a point to go and see her. You know, many professional Christians, like me, a pastor, uh, some other people who've been Christians a long time, we, we get wrapped up in our church world. We get wrapped up in, in, in the world that we're comfortable with. 
And uh, here Jesus, his ministry is growing and all of that stuff, but he was willing to leave that to go to this woman who was in need. Uh, Jesus' crowds were getting larger. He, he was seeing uh, good success as many people, more than John the Baptist had done. And John the Baptist had reached multitudes, and many more were following the Lord Jesus now. But he said, I have to go and see this woman. Now the Lord knew, and he knew specifically her, and, and he knew things that, about her that we would not know normally. But it is interesting to me that Jesus would leave all of the busyness of a full ministry to step aside to go see one woman in need. We must be wary that we don't become so wrapped up in our church world in doing church the way we normally do that we fail to reach some people who really need us as individuals. They may not know anything about church. They may not know much about the Lord Jesus. They may not know much at all. But yet they still are a soul for whom Jesus died. I like what Pastor says. Sometimes we have to love people not because we love them, but because Jesus loved them. And the Lord Jesus came to earth to die for that specific Samaritan woman at the bottom of even Samaritan society. So Jesus stepped away from the busyness of a full ministry to go meet an individual. And secondly, in grace, he set aside personal prejudice to reach out to someone who was undesirable. Here Jesus is reaching out to an adulteress. You know, later on, Pastor read about it, how, how she had had five husbands and now she's living with another man. She's shacking up with another guy. This is an undesirable person. This is somebody who's at the bottom of society. Uh, she wasn't the kind of person that most Jewish women would want to talk to, let alone a Jewish man. And yet Jesus went to speak to her. She was a woman. In those days, uh, women did not receive much respect from men. Beyond that, she was a Samaritan. And Jews and Samaritans mix about as well as oil and water mix. You ever tried that? It doesn't work so well. Uh, but not only that, she was morally defiled, having been married multiple times and couldn't keep a marriage together and, and, and just had to always be living in an immoral relationship. Dean Taylor said this, according to cultural norms, Jesus should have avoided her like, like a leper. You think of a, like a vampire, stick a cross up and say, get away from me. That's the impression that I get. But yet Jesus loved her. Uh, in the, uh, in the, uh, the commentary, the Life Application Bible Commentary, it says this about Samaria. And this woman was even at the bottom of the whole list of the Samaritans. Uh, there's a map there in your, in your notes if you want to look at it, and you can kind of see. If you look at the map, there's a, there's a green line that goes up, and that's the line that Jesus took. You see the red line off to the right? Uh, that's the line that shows where most Jewish people would go to get away from Samaria. But Jesus made a pretty, pretty direct beeline to this woman in Sychar uh, because she was in, t in need. Now, Samaria, what was it? Now, let me read what it says here. Samaria was a region between Judea and Galilee where Jews of mixed blood lived. This is why they didn't like them, though the Jews didn't like them. In Old Testament days, when the northern kingdom of Israel, with its capital at Samaria, fell to the Assyrians, many of the Jews were deported to Assyria, but King Sargon of, Ars Sargon of Assyria repopulated the northern kingdom with captives from other lands to settle the territory and to keep the peace in the land. And these captives eventually intermarried with the few Jews who remained in the land to form a mixed race of people who became known as Samaritans. The Jews hated the Samaritans. Why? Because they were no longer pure Jews. 
Now, we all have the danger of being prejudiced against people who are different than us. We all have a tendency to, to, to kind of stay with our own group of people. But Jesus reached through and across what we would call races. I think there's only one race, the human race, and we're all just different colors. But, but Jesus reached to a different group of people with a different background, with a different society, and even the lower echelon of society. Samaria was not a place typically traveled by Jews. It just wasn't done. They took that long way. But Jesus made a point of going to see this particular woman. Unfortunately, the way the Jews treated the Samaritans is the way a lot of, a lot of Christians I know treated other people. I've actually been in a church one time where a man of another race came in for a funeral and the deacons of the church went to the pastor and said, what's that man doing in our church? And what? how can we let him sit in the front row? He's from a different race. And the pastor said, gentlemen, I'm going to preach the gospel just like I always would. I'm going to try to bury this man peaceably. Let's go into church and let's leave that alone. That was the right spirit. That was the right attitude. All people need the gospel, no matter what skin color, no matter what background, no matter what language they speak. I like the little song we used to sing to children. We still do. Red, brown, yellow, black, or white, all are precious in his sight. Uh, Jesus loves the little children of the world and the adults, too, uh, who need him. Now, we need to be careful that we don't become prejudiced and step in, live, live in that world. Christians uh, also, and we, we also run a da danger of being prejudiced against unsaved people. You know, we, we kind of get into our little church world, and we, leave, we, we have left the world behind when we accepted Jesus Christ as Savior, and we should. Old things are passed away, all things are become new. But at the same time, we can't get so wrapped up in our church world that we don't have time for the lost world that needs to hear the gospel. I'm so thankful to hear of people, even in our own church, who are witnessing, even to some homeless people, uh, to, to medical workers who come into their home, people who may not have heard the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ or may have rejected it for a time, and God is still working in their hearts, and maybe now they will come to the Lord, even after a long wrestling time like Nicodemus went through. Um, in, in our Christian world, new goals replace our old pleasures. New, a new way of life, a new passion for Christ comes in. And we want to be holy and live like the Lord. And we're, we want to forget what lies behind in Philippians chapter 3, verse 13 and 14. Forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. But in all of our pressing toward a holy life, and all of our, our pressing towards getting to heaven and looking forward to that wonderful day when we'll be with God and with his people and, and sin will not bother us anymore and temptation will no longer come and we will, we will just be living in this wonderful place of bliss and joy and peace in the presence of the Lord. A glorious thing. But we're not there yet. And right now, God has left us here in the middle of all this mess, in the middle of all this sin, in this world that's all around us, for a purpose. Jesus said, occupy till I come. And that means that we're to be fulfilling the great commission that he mentioned in Matthew chapter 28 and Acts chapter 1. Go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature, uh, going to all the world, not just the parts that we're comfortable going into. It's real easy for us to try, to try to stay in our comfort zone. But frankly, not a lot of unsaved people are there. And you're never going to lead somebody to Christ until you have contact with them. 
so that you can point them to the Lord Jesus Christ. We're to go to all the nations. We're to go to the remotest parts of the earth. We're to step outside of our church buildings and the comforts of our own home and get out there into the world where people like the Samaritan woman are. That's exactly what Jesus did in John chapter 4. He left Judea and went away into Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. He didn't have to. He chose to pass through Samaria. He could have gone another way, but he went right there. You know, a big city like San Francisco. I, 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 I've lived in places where every time you drive down the road, you're constantly raising your hand, waving at the next guy coming at you. Well, if you did that in San Francisco, you'd really get a crook in your hand going back and forth. Uh, in, in, in many towns I've lived in in the past, people would nod, and they would say hello to one another. You do that in the streets of San Francisco, people don't know what to do with you. They, they, they want to lock you up. We, we have to be careful about how we do things. We have to be wise as serpents and harmless as, as doves. But we still need to get out of our Christian cocoon and we need to be reaching out to try to contact the lost. And we need to get away from people who talk like us, dress like us, smell like us, live like us, and sometimes get to people who maybe would be repulsive to us. They need the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thankfully, in our own church, we've got some who were like that, and they've been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ because someone was willing to speak to them. Perhaps you know some too. So Jesus stepped out of his comfort zone, and he went to he got rid of his prejudices, and he went after someone who needed to know the Lord. And then when he met her, he set the woman at ease. You know, sometimes somebody from a different culture and a different background, a different gender speaks to you, and there's there's a wall that goes up, and 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 you you still know exactly how to respond to that. But Jesus found a way to set the woman at ease. He says in John chapter four, verse six and seven, Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. He's relaxing, tired from walking, and it was about the sixth hour later in the day, and there there came a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus simply said to her. Give me a drink. You just broke the ice. Can I have something to drink? Can you? Can I, and there's something special about just being a normal, decent human being. Are you kind to the grocery clerk? Are you kind to the people who bring your food to your door and drop it off and hide so that you can go to the door to get it uh, during the COVID time? Are you are you nice to your mailman? Whoever it is that you come in contact with, you should be kind. And you should recognize that though they are sinners, though they do need the Lord, though they may not be a believer, there's still some value there. They're created in the image of God. They're created and, and, and God loves them. And we need to be kind to them so that we can speak with them and eventually talk to them about the Lord. Someone has said something like this, no one cares what you know about anything until they know that you care about them. Learn how to break the wall of, of, of obstacles between you and another person by having a conversation. Someone has suggested that we, we look at the unsaved people as friends, and they give a little acronym, and I tried to put it on five fingers, but I think there's seven of them, so they won't fit on one hand. So we just kind of look at it this way and, and spell out friends and use that as an acronym and how to create a conversation. I think I've spoken in our church about this before. But start off with the idea of F, friends. 
family, talking about their family. Tell them a little bit about your family. Learn a little bit about their family. Build a relationship about that. Most people want to talk about their family. They want to tell you about how cute their kids are and how great they're, especially if they're grandparents. Watch out, the pictures are coming out. And then you, then you can step down into the next one is role. What do you do for a living? What, what is, what, are you on a board of uh, any kind of an organization? Are you involved? What are you involved with? Uh, is it 4-H as a young person out in the country? Is it some other, uh, some other club that's in, in the city? What are your roles? So F, family, R, role. I, interest. What do you do that's just fun? Uh, that's when I visit with pastors sometimes. That's one of the things I ask because we always talk about theology. We always talk about struggles in their church. And I say, hey, what do you do just for fun? What are your interests? What, what, are, your, what are your hobbies? Uh, one man, uh, one pastor told me he made pens, and so now I have a nice pen. That's his hobby. Uh, but those are things we talk about to develop friendships with people. Education is another place to go. Most people want to tell you about their high school. What, be true to your school. The old Beach Boy song talks about that. Uh, but, you know, the idea of your education. What, what kind of an education do you have as college? What, are you, what is your training in life about? Neighborhood. Where are you from? What's your neighborhood like? Tell me something about that. And you can kind of find common ground talk to people about that. And then eventually you can get to those last two letters in that, in that acronym, FRIENDS, denomination. What's your church background? Where do you go to church? What, what are your religious beliefs? Try to get an understanding there. And you get people to try to talk about that. And then S, are you saved? Salvation. You get to that. It's, it's a really good acronym that will help us to break down walls. Uh, and it's similar to Jesus saying to the lady, hey, can you give me a drink? It just lets him know, I'm a human being. You're a human being. There's something that I have that I want to talk to you about. But let's get to know each other first. Jesus knew how to talk to people in such a way that they were at ease, but he never stopped there. At the right time, Jesus graciously introduced the gospel to her in terms that she could grasp. Jesus knew that just being nice to someone isn't enough. And we can be nice people all day long and people can die around us and never get to heaven. But we have to get to that opportunity to share the gospel. It's so important. Kindness opens the door, but the gospel opens hearts and brings people to Christ. So Jesus offered her something that he knew that she needed that was beyond what she could do for him. He, she could give him physical water, but he could give her living water, and then she would never thirst again. So how did Jesus share the truth, this truth with this woman? He turned the earthly conversation into a spiritual one. In John chapter 4, verse 10, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who said to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Just as Jesus did with Nicodemus, he talked about being born again, and he, he brought about how that was a spiritual thing. He took the idea of water and turned it into a spiritual thing. He made it clear that there's only one way to gain eternal life, and you have to get it from him. John chapter 4, verse 13, Jesus answered and said unto her, Everyone who drinks of this water, your, your physical water, will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. So he, he, gave her, he graciously offered her the gift, but he told her there's something more that you need. Something else Jesus did that was really important if we ever want to see somebody come to Christ is 
he exposed her sinful condition. He said to her in John chapter 4, verse 16, he said, go call your husband and come here. And she couldn't do it. She said, I've had five husbands, and the guy I'm living with right now is not my husband. And Jesus said, you're right. You are living in a sinful condition. Now that may sound harsh, to be able to, to point out somebody's sin. That may, that may sound, it may, may cause embarrassment on the part of the person who's living in sin. But until they get to where they understand how awful sin is, they won't understand how wonderful salvation is. Jesus had to tell the truth. That was the loving thing to do. You know, if you had cancer and the doctor never told you about it, never treated it, never told you how to be healed from it, wouldn't it be cruel for him to just ignore it because it sounded like bad news? No, a doctor who's a good doctor will tell you what the issue is and try to help you find a solution. And when we talk to people, talk to sinners and expose their sin, it's not to embarrass them, it's not to shame them, it is not to judge them, it is to help them to see that they need the Savior. And then the Holy Spirit takes that and he works in their hearts. It's important that everyone understands what Romans chapter 3 verse 10 to 12 says. There's none righteous, not even one. There's none who understands. There's none who seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There's none who does good. Not even one. And Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Be kind, but be firm in proclaiming truth. Let God use his word to convict the heart. Well, a lot of times what happens is as soon as we bring conviction to someone, they, they want to return to any religion that they might have and try to change the subject and, 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 and try to uh, uh, make themselves look better than they are. Uh, but Jesus challenged her wrong work view of worship. Here she is, an immoral Samaritan woman, five or six men, and maybe more in her life, and she still wants to make herself look good. Kind of hard to believe, but it's what she did. In John chapter 4, verse 19, she changes the subject. She says, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. How else would Jesus have known this? Of course, he, she didn't know she was talking to the Son of God who knows all things. She, she just thought he was talk, she was talking to somebody who just had some special, miraculous insight. But then she changes the subject and says, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. And so what she's basically trying to say is, My religion's as good as your religion, and I've been worshipping my way, you worship your way, and it'll be okay. That's just not that way. It's just not true. Jesus made it clear, religion is not the answer. Salvation is. John chapter 4 verse 23 says, An hour is coming, Jesus said this to her, and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. It's something that happens in your heart. It's not just a religious thing. It's not a religious activity. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And then he goes on and he presents himself as the Messiah, the Savior of the world. I love what he says in John chapter 4, verse 25, when the woman says, I know the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. Of course, Jesus had been just declaring things to her that nobody else would know. But Jesus said to her, I who speaks to you am he. I am the way. I am the Messiah. I am the one who has come to show you the way to heaven. 
I'm the one to provide the way of salvation. Now that sounds arrogant. And every religion gets upset when you say, I'm the only way, This ours is the only way. But all religions proclaim exclusivity. And so it's no different when a Christian does it, except that we have the truth. We have the Word of God. We know what God has said. To say that there's only one way to heaven sounds arrogant, but it is true. And we need to be sure to say it. I'm reminded of a film that I saw back in 1995. They came out with a film called First Night. I think Sean Connery and Richard Gere are in it. Richard Gere plays the part of Sir Lancelot, and Sean Connery plays the part of King Arthur. And they're in this room and they're talking, and King Arthur is offering Sir Lancelot an opportunity to become one of the knights of the round table. What a great honor. And Sir Lancelot's such a free spirit. He said, no, I don't, I don't really want to do that. No, thank you. Uh, I'm just free. I just want to be free. And uh, so King Arthur looks at him and says, so, so all right, I, I'll let you go. I respect that. But what, where will you go? What will you do? And he says, Sir Lancelot says, it doesn't matter, whatever I do, I, it doesn't, I'm free, I can go wherever I want. And the king said, no, you can't just go wherever you want. If you want to leave the castle, you've got to go left to get out the door. There's only one way out of the castle. I thought it made me smile when I read it, because I thought that is exactly what people need to hear. I can do whatever I want, I can do whatever I want. I'm free to choose whatever I want to do. Yes, you may, but there's only one way to get to heaven. And that's through the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have to tell people that, whether they want to hear it or not. Because we love them. Because Jesus Christ loved them. There is only one way. Thankfully, we can be pretty sure that this woman did accept the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. She went out and she talked to other people about it. She told the city of Samaria, of Sychar, where she was. And she spoke to men and she talked to people about it. And, and they all came to hear Jesus. In John chapter 4, verse 25, the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to the men, Come, see a man who told me all the things that I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? She wasn't exactly sure, but I think the more she heard, the more she knew. And the Bible tells us in John chapter 4, verse 39, that many others came. And that many others came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Read what it says in John chapter 4, verse 39. Many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all the things that I have done. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his word. And they were saying to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. Jesus went to speak to one woman, and a revival broke out. Many came to him. I wonder if the next person that you speak to will lead to the opportunity for many others to come to Christ. I remember as a camp counselor many years ago in North Carolina working with some boys. And I was talking with them. I had devotions with them. And I prayed with them. And I said, okay, now boys, go to bed. And uh, then I sat out so I could write a letter to my girlfriend, who's mom and my wife. And while I'm sitting out there, one of the boys came out and says, Mr. Dan... And he was crying. I said, what's, what's the matter? Are you homesick? He says, no. I need to get saved. And I led that little boy to Christ. And then I put him back in his room, and I got in there, and there was another boy in there crying. And he said, Mr. Dan, I need to get saved. And 
Before I know it, I led five or six boys to Christ. I have no idea where those boys are today. But one boy came to Christ and others saw the need. And that's the way it is. We need to be sharing the gospel with the individuals that God brings into our lives. And then let God do the work using them to then spread the gospel with others. And this is how the gospel gets spread throughout the whole world. One person at a time. Be faithful to speak to those that God brings into your life. Be full of grace and truth. Love them like Jesus did, but never shy away from the truth. That will make you a good and faithful servant for the Lord and bring great reward and salvation to many. Now we're going to continue this study down uh, the next few weeks. Next week we'll look at a crowd of hungry followers that Jesus fed and, and how he used that for gospel ministry. A woman caught in sin and how he helped her. A grieving family later on. A funeral. God used the funeral for a witness. Uh, a a self-centered disciples. He brought them back and straightened them out so that they could be used of God. A skeptical observer, fall, a failing follower, he brought him back so he could serve and then a dying sinner of the thief on the cross. You know those things. But we want to review those things, and we want to see how Jesus witnessed and worked with people. We want to be people who are growing and thriving in our gospel witness as the Lord Jesus, full of grace and truth. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, I thank you that you sent Jesus Christ, first of all, to die for us so that we could be saved. Before we were believers, we were no better than that woman in Samaria. We were full of sin that was condemning us to hell. And yet in grace, Jesus Christ loved us enough to die for us. Thank you for salvation that we have. Help us now, Lord, to be bold with the gospel, to share it with the people that we come in contact with. Help us to look for opportunities as Jesus looked for this opportunity, to find a way to speak to people who need to hear. And Lord, would you save many, even during this COVID time, this time when people are thinking about life and death. Use this special, unique, difficult time in our lives to spread the gospel of the kingdom. We pray these things in Jesus' name.